Remember, it's not up on the screen, so just open your ears and we'll hear Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Lord be with you. Let us pray. <clears throat> Almighty and everlasting God, mercifully look upon our infirmities and stretch forth your majestic hand to heal and defend us through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Old Testament reading from the prophet Isaiah in the ninth chapter. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. This is the word of the Lord. And our epistle reading from the first letter to the Corinthians in the first chapter. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, 
so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise in honor of the gospel from Matthew's gospel in the fourth chapter. Now, when he, Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, Beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you give and all that you continue to do to bring us together around your word. As you have called us into this place, we ask that you would also work by your Holy Spirit. Remove distractions from our hearts and minds, and let us rest in the promises that you give us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. There's so much in this gospel text. Trying to pick one particular direction through it can be kind of tricky, but there are a few things that stood out to me that I thought were interesting. First off, just the geography and the layout. And I know not all of us take a whole lot of time to remember where the 12 tribes of Israel were and who is Naphtali and Zebulun and all these things. And so we'll do a little uh, review real quick about kind of where things are at. Because it's important. So, we've got uh, Nazareth is where Jesus is from. Okay, Nazareth is there. And then we hear that he moves from Nazareth to Capernaum. That's about Encinitas to Escondido. That's about 20 miles or so. So, not too far away, except there's no cars or anything. But it would be about a day's walk is about how that would work out. And so, we've got that region. Now, Nazareth and... um, 
Capernaum are both in this region that when uh, the Jews came into the land of Canaan and the land was divided amongst the 12 tribes, this northern area uh, was given to several tribes, but two of them specifically were Zebulun and Naphtali. All right, so Zebulun and Naphtali are around this northern end of the Sea of Galilee. Now, we hear this described as a place of darkness, a place even in the shadow of death. And, I mean, that's pretty heavy words to describe a place where these folks are living. But there's a few things that happen throughout the Jews' time in those places that would definitely make sense to hear that description. See, at one point in time, the Assyrians came through when they were going to take the people into exile before God stopped them right before they got to Jerusalem. Well, the Assyrians came down through this region and were wreaking havoc through this region. And so there was a lot of mourning, a lot of darkness, a lot of death. The other thing, too, is that With the temple being at Jerusalem, that's known as the place where God's presence would be. And so that place would be a special place. You'd always think of that place as the place where God's light is, the place where God's glory is. And though it's part of the promised land, being far away from it would give you a sense of feeling removed. You see, from That area on the north end of the Sea of Galilee, this region of Naphtali and Zebulun, where Nazareth and Capernaum are, it's about 120 miles down to Jerusalem. Let's put that into perspective. From here, if you were to head north, you'd just about hit Malibu. And if you were to head south, pretty much hit Ensenada, Baja, Mexico. Now think through the feast days when everybody walked to go to Jerusalem for the feasts. Imagine heading out on your journey to walk all the way up to Malibu or all the way down to Ensenada and the amount of days it would take in order to make that journey. You can see how you would start to feel distant and separated from the place where God said his presence rests. And so to be in this northern area would kind of be a place of darkness. There's another thing that happened in those very hills right around the Sea of Galilee as well. And Herod had come in. Well, there was Herod, and then there was his son, also named Herod. Not very original in names. But you had this family lineage that was right there. And as one of them came in and wanted to wipe out the people of the Jews that were in this place where it was a mix of Jews and Gentiles and everything else, the Jews fought back as best they could in this western area around the Sea of Galilee and were just about wiped out. And this was about a hundred years or so before Jesus. And so as they left the flatlands where the towns were, they ran up into the hills to a place called Mount Arbel. And there's caves up there that you can explore to this day. And as they would hide in there, Herod and his Roman troops had a hard time getting the people out of the caves until he set up cranes with chests of soldiers and gave them long spears and hooks and said, I'm going to make of you fishers of men. A phrase that would then be used by Jesus as well. You see, as these soldiers would swing on the sides of the caves, they would grab people out of the caves. Not a pretty picture by any means. And so, we have an understanding of Zebulun and Naphtali, this place of darkness that dwelt in the shadow of death a lot of hard things that happened in this place. 
So when those promised words of Isaiah come in, these prophesied words of a promised light that's going to shine in this place of darkness, you can only imagine the hope that that would give for these folks that are living there for the hundreds of years that they've been there and then now finally hearing this prophecy from Isaiah's day and now Jesus coming into the mix of the picture, this light dwelling in a place of darkness, this light dawning in this place of darkness. Yet how wild is even that? See, we look back on it with all the picture painted for us, and we look back and we say, okay, Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy. He's the Son of God, the light dwelling in the darkness. But imagine, imagine walking those roads in Capernaum for just a second. And as you've known the history of the people, you've known the history of the place, and now all of a sudden, this guy that was born in Bethlehem, gone to Egypt for a couple of years, family moved into Nazareth, grew up as a carpenter's son, heads off over to the Jordan to be baptized by a fanatic out in the wilderness, and then is called the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world, now makes home base in Capernaum a fishing village. And one of his first moves is to preach and teach and go call out four fishermen to be his understudy, to be the ones that would carry on his word. None of that would make any sense in the middle of it going on. You know, imagine somebody walking in from Encinitas and coming in and saying, all right, here I am. I'm going to start teaching and preaching God's word. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We'd say, oh, really? Who'd you bring with you? And he goes, I got four fishermen. What? Who are you? None of it would make any sense. But in this land of darkness, dwelling in the shadow of death, a light is dawned. And we hear Jesus' words of repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Those were the exact same words that John the Baptist preached when he was calling people to a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And here Jesus is as John has been arrested by Herod the Younger, because he called him out on an adulterous relationship with his brother's wife or something, and John's out of the picture, now Jesus is here proclaiming the same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we started thinking, what's that kingdom of heaven look like? Well, in Jesus' moment, that kingdom of heaven, that active reign and rule of God happening in that moment was healing, was taking care of folks in sadness and in distress and oppression and all the things that were going on that were breaking God's people apart. Jesus was there mending it all, bringing it all back together. And the notoriety of that went all the way up into Syria, a land outside of Israel. And as they brought their sick down and they brought their people down to come see Jesus, he was taking care of the hurts of his creation in that moment kingdom of heaven a light being preached in the middle of the darkness a light being shown where people had not seen a light for a long time and it makes us wonder sometimes is that still happening now yeah god's kingdom still reigns 
His light is still dawning in dark places. It's still shown where people have no understanding of God's love for his creation. And then we get to bring a word of peace and hope and joy and grace and mercy and forgiveness into dark places. And it's, it's kind of like as Jesus called out Simon and Andrew and uh, James and John calls them out, and I think one of the most interesting moments in that calling, and one of the details that's there that is completely unnecessary, is that for both of those people, Matthew accounts that one set of brothers was casting nets, and the other set of brothers was mending nets. Not necessary. He could have just said, these are fishermen. But there was something interesting that Pastor Bob and I started talking about with this whole net thing. Now, it's not how you are going to cast nets. But to think of how God casts his net, how he takes care of his net. Because Jesus is calling these people out to be fishers of men, not in the same way Herod sent people to be fishers of men. And so I started thinking about how we fish. And if you were to look, and most folks, when they would go and fish, get a fishing rod and a line. Probably have something other than a uh, casting plug because unless you have a really big fish that likes fake cheese, uh, that's not going to work out very well. But think of fishing with one of these. Generally, you would catch one fish at a time. And what happens? Any good fisherman will tell you if things get snagged up, well, you cut it off, you toss it away, you tie in a new line, and then you keep going again. But it's one man's work on one rod, one pole. That's not how they fished in that day. How they fished in that day is very different. Something that we don't use all the time. We actually have a net. Now see, the thing with a net, especially for the fishermen, is that it's their livelihood. If something breaks, you don't just throw it away and replace it, right? It's something that has many parts all tied together, and as it would be cast out, it would go around, the weights would sink, and then you pull up on it, and it would close the bottom and gather a lot more together. But see, as God casts his nets out, as he called Peter and uh, Andrew and James and John to really be part of that net, as he calls us to be part of that net, he knits us together, uh, one, when he creates us, but then two, as a community within the church, and pulls us together into that family so that we would be part of his net. And then when all those same hurts come into life, and even when we try to walk away from it or fight it or whatever the case may be, he doesn't just let us go, but he actually mends us. We walk in with sin and he forgives us. He takes the broken pieces and ties it back together. That's what he's done for you. But then it doesn't just hang on the wall either. See, God then casts his net out so that dark places would hear a word of light, so that more would hear of the love of God for his creation, so that more would hear of that very same forgiveness that you've heard at some point in your life and generally hear every single time you come into church, that you are forgiven on account of Christ alone, who has died for your sins and risen again, to call you out and say, hey, follow me. Not because you deserve it or anything like that, but simply because he's called and he's forgiven 
And he's made you a new creation because of his grace and his mercy and his love for you. And then casts us out into a world that needs to hear that very same message. God casting his net out into the world. Kind of interesting to think of. Because as much as you may feel alone and that you're out and doing your one thing, you're part of a much wider net. You're part of a much wider community. You're part of a much wider family. A child of God, forgiven and loved by the Father because of his fatherly love for you. On account of Christ, as he has died and risen for you. And then strengthened by the Holy Spirit. A changed heart. A new creation. All because of God's love for you. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we may do what we can at times to break the net that you so tenderly knit together, we thank you for mending us back into it. That you bring us together as your family to feed us of uh, the forgiveness of Christ and uh, the Lord's Supper and to strengthen us by your spirit to lead us each day to give us the word to speak to those who you bring into our lives, to show them your mercy and also to show them the same forgiveness that you have shown us. We pray, Lord, that you continue to lead us as you cast us out into a dark world that needs to hear of the light of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. I invite you to rise if you're so inclined.